This past week has been a remarkable week. Every year when it comes vacation Bible school time, I am always very nervous, always worried that there will not be enough of the teachers, there will not be enough of uh, planning and preparation, and then I'm always amazed at how well people come through and do such a great job. And at least from my perspective, I want to express my own personal thanks to everyone who worked in Vacation Bible School. You did a tremendous job. And every year I always have somebody that tells me something that sticks in my mind. And this past Wednesday evening, right before we began our learning centers, Brother Randy Griffith walked over to the room where I was teaching and he said, you know, last night that little group of kids that came in there, he said, you could just see in their eyes that they were connected with what we were talking about and what we were teaching. He said, do you ever get that feeling when you're in the pulpit? I said, sometimes. <laughs> it's such a blessing to be able to serve God, to worship Him, and to work with such a great group of people. If you will, for a few minutes now, I'd like to focus your attention on the book of Ephesians again, particularly to chapter 3. And I will remind you as we approach this subject, as I've been trying to remind us each and every week, there's so much to appreciate about this short letter to a beloved church. You know the letter's not very long, only six chapters. You can read it in just a few minutes. And yet as you begin to ponder the depth of this book, you begin to realize there's riches beyond measure as you begin to think about the things that Paul said the very first thing that one is reminded of is how blessed we are. I think of the song, in fact, as I was preparing this, that song, uh, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow, kept running through my mind. Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's so much about which you and I should be thankful as we count our many blessings. And yet as you go further in the book, you realize that one is reminded how you ought to behave as a child of God. Chapters 1 through 3 emphasize the blessings and the plans that God has made for man. And chapters 4 through 6 talk about how you and I ought to behave as being children of God. And as we begin this final section of chapter 3, we realize that Paul begins with an admonition not to be discouraged. You'll notice with me again verse 13. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Losing heart is a term that is found quite frequently in the Bible. The original King James talks about fainting not. The idea of these words is really an idiom for not being discouraged, not giving up. Paul didn't want the church at Ephesus to give up, to give in. And I think it's interesting because when Paul says this, he's the one in prison. He's the one who's suffering, but he says it is for you. And he says that's your glory that I am able to suffer for you. This morning, I want us to look at six things. And I know some of you begin to look and say, 
Last week he preached for 30 minutes and had three things. This week he has six things. Does that mean he's going to preach for an hour? No. I will tell you that as you look at the last part of chapter 6, it's almost as if Paul uses a musical type approach to his teaching. There's a, te- there's a, a form of music called staccato. And that's where you hit a point real hard and then you move to the next one. You hit it real hard. You hit it real hard. And that's really the way Paul ends chapter 3. And it is with the posture in which one prays. It is the paternity that you and I have, that God is our Father. The progress that we make in our spiritual lives, that we are planted in our faith with God that we observe the passion that God had for us and the power which he displays before us. Let's look at these six things very quickly. Let's look first of all at verse 14. And there Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that phrase, I bow my knees. That indicates a posture. In fact, if you will look at this carefully and you go all the way down to verse 21, you will see him using the phrase ending in amen. This is a prayer, folks. This is what Paul is expressing to God for what he wants for the children of God at Ephesus. But how does Paul approach God? Well, there could be a whole study on the posture that one has in prayer. And I'm not going to go into great detail with that This morning, I do want to remind you that there are different postures which people use. The first one we see in the Bible is that of standing. For instance, Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. I suggest to you that they stood Stood because they could be seen, stood so they could be heard. If you go to Luke chapter 18 and verse 11, Jesus says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Notice in both of these, the posture is standing. However, you find that there are times when people kneel. And Luke 22, verse 41, speaking about Jesus, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. If you look at Acts 20, verse 36, as Paul meets with the elders from Ephesus, these elders from Ephesus, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. So you can see people pray standing, people pray kneeling, And then there is prostrate. And what that means is a person falls headlong on the ground, prostrating himself so that he exhibits that he's not even worthy to look up. And 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 25, Paul would say, or 14.25, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, He will worship God and report that God is truly among you. In the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, Moses in chapter 9 and verse 25 says, Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 
Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said that He would destroy you. Sometimes when we pray, we stand. Sometimes when we pray, we kneel. And yes, even there's times when a person feels so unworthy, he feels so low that he feels that he must prostrate himself before God. I suggest to you as you look at this, Paul is indicating his humility. And he is trying to honor God in the bowing of his knees. The second thing that you will notice is found in verse 15. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now if you back up and get the last part of verse 13, you find there it's the word father. Here you find the word family and you find the word named. In Jewish tradition, a person was named after his father. Let me give you an illustration Everyone knows Matthew 16 and verse 18 when Jesus says, And blessed are you, or blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. When he calls him Simon Bar-Jonah, the word Bar means son of. And so Simon, son of Jonah. Today we use a similar fashion, but a little bit different. We use as a family name, like mine is Lawrence Clemens, flat, and everybody within that family is named after that name. Levites were named after their father, Levi. Israelites for the family of Israel or Jacob. You can see that plainly in the Bible. In this context, the word family, the word, Greek word there is patria, from which we get our word patriarch, and from which the word paternity comes from, to be the head of a tribe, a clan, or a family. Now there's much to be said about being called by the right name. Everybody on heaven and earth who is as God would have them to be has this name. Where did that name come from? If you go back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah 56, verse 5, Isaiah 62, verse 2, we learn, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which shall not be cut off. And according to chapter 62 and verse 2, it is a new name which the mouth of the Lord would name. There's an importance in this, folks. What name is that? Acts 11, 26, Acts 26, 28, and 1 Peter 4, 16, he said, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Or Agrippa says to Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Or 1 Peter 4, 16, if any man suffers as a Christian... That's an appropriate name because it is the church of Christ. We belong to him. We wear his name. That is significant. Would you want your children known by someone else's name? Would you want your children to go around and wear some other man's name? Well, you'd say, no, they're my children. The same is true with God. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Now I say this, that each one of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? It's important, folks, from whom the whole family on heaven and earth is named. Number three is progress. And I want you to notice carefully with me verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. I want you to notice the key words here, strengthened in the inner man. And what is implied with strengthened with might? You know, as I read a passage like this, I've got to say, what is he talking about? What, what is this inner man? What is this strength about which he speaks? Well, if I pull out the book of Ephesians, here's some things I'm going to learn. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he's going to go on from verse 11 and describe the Christian armor. You see, like we're fighting a battle in this world. And he wants us to be strong internally. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you strong? Are you weak? Is your strength in God? Have you been strengthened with his might? Go back with me to chapter 3, verse 13. Where he says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations. Are there people ready to give up and give in? Most certainly. Do I need someone who will encourage me, help me, urge me to be strong in the Lord? Most certainly. Absolutely. What is the inner man? About what is this which Paul speaks? Well, I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Because there Paul will describe the inner man. Notice carefully the way he puts it. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You folks, you understand there's the outward body, and what it does, it grows old, it gets wrinkled, it has aches, it has pains, because it's wearing out. You may have been to the doctor and he may say, well, your joints, they're just worn out. You may have been to the doctor and he may say, you know, you're not as young as you used to be. You're wearing out. But the inward man can still be renewed day by day. And, you know, I can find some people who physically... They can't pick up very much. Physically, there's not a lot they can do, but let me tell you, the inner man is strong because of the strength that they derive from God. And this is the mind, the will, the eternal soul. 
which is going to lead me to what does he mean by saying through his spirit. Now I know a lot of people when they read those phrases like through the spirit immediately comes to their mind this touchy-feely thing of a direct operation of the Holy Spirit as if God is going to come in my heart my mind and my soul and take over and just say, okay, Tony, I know you've been weak, but I'm just going to make you strong. The text doesn't suggest that at all. Man has brought that in. That's not what the text says. Let me take you to the context. Let's see what it is saying. Notice with me chapter 3, verse 5. Same chapter, same context. What's the Spirit doing? In other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. The Spirit has revealed what? The mystery. The Spirit has revealed God's plan. The Spirit has revealed how God is able to help man through this world. It's not just this. You go on over to chapter 6, verse 17. And there he says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is that which was revealed. The Word of God is that which strengthens me in my inner man. You pick up that Bible, you read it every day. And as the song the young people sang this last week in VBS, grow, grow, grow. You see, there's some very profound teaching in some of those VBS songs as well. When Paul spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, he said, So now, brethren, I commend to you God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith. It's the Word of God that's able to strengthen the inner man. Now, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, there's some key words here as well. Christ dwelling in our hearts. It's as if Christ has been planted in our hearts and now is growing up and blooming in our lives. It makes you think of the parable of the sower. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. And the seed is the word of God. And you plant it in the heart. And what it does, it produces after its kind. And notice the way he uses this word being rooted and being grounded, these two participles. And yeah, I do like to look at the original language a little bit. Focusing on this person is fixed. They're not moving with every wind of doctrine, as Peter would put it. In fact, it emphasizes their stability. James 1 and verse 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Listen to Paul as he writes the Colossians in a parallel passage. Indeed, you, in the, uh, if you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, 
and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. You hold on to it. You see, Christians are supposed to be those people who do not turn loose. They're planted deep. They draw their nutrition from the love of God. Which is going to lead me to the last two points here. They go together. I want you to look with me at verses 18 and 19. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May be able to comprehend the love of Christ may be able to comprehend it. There's some things which I think I comprehend. That is, I understand. I have a grasp of it. There's a lot of things that I don't comprehend. I'm sorry, but quantum physics is something that just doesn't make sense to me. To you it may, but I just don't comprehend it. Maybe it's because I haven't studied it enough. But there are some things that I do comprehend. I do understand if you got two apples and you add two more apples to it, you got four apples. I understand that. But what Paul is praying here is that the church will comprehend the love of Christ to understand how much he really loves us. You know, as parents, we try to tell our children we love them. And in their minds, they may think they understand, but they really don't grasp it. They don't really realize what you as a parent would do, that you'd give your life for your children. The depths of your love, which brings us to what Paul is wanting them to know is how much the passion of God the Father and of the Christ that they had for us. You have to explore the dimensions of it. If you're going to explore the dimensions, you've got your width, you've got your length, you've got your depth and height. Three-dimensional, if you will, here. He wants you to see the full breadth of God's will and of God's love. But then he uses a phrase which I think is somewhat uh, difficult for us to grasp. And that is to know that which passes knowledge. And what he's saying is you'll never fully grasp it all. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 What is the depth of that? Oh, I know we've got the seven. God so loved the world. That's the measure of it. That he gave. That is... It was sacrificial. His only begotten Son. Oh yeah, we concentrate on the nature of the gift. Oh yeah, we can preach that sermon. But do I really grasp what it meant for God to give Jesus? Do I really fully grasp what it means for Jesus to leave the portals of heaven, to be found in the fashion of man, to be spat upon, to be mistreated, to be beaten, and ultimately crucified and die? No, I can't really grasp that. 
That passes my ability to comprehend. I can know, but I can't know it all. That's the reason why each and every day I try to explore God's Word, to look at that length and width and depth and height, to try to be able to understand it. Final point, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above we can ask or think. What does that say? Just as I can't fully grasp the passion, the love of God, I cannot fully grasp God's power either. How much can God do? What kind of power does He have? He is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. In Mark 10, verse 27, But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You see, man has such a finite level of reasoning and a finite level of power, but it's difficult for us to grasp the fullness of God's power. In Jeremiah 32 and verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And the answer is no. Now, when I explore that, I've got to realize this is the power that works in us. You see, it's one thing to talk about God, but then you've got to look about what does God do for us. His love gave Jesus His Son. His power, what does that do in me? Again, you can easily try to to make this something too touchy-feely, but the Scripture is pretty clear. Listen to Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you flawless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, God is able to keep me. And you say, well, I don't understand what that really involves. To me, the best passage that is a commentary on all this is 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God knows each and every one of our breaking points. He knows how far you and I can be pushed before we can't resist. God will not allow us to be pushed beyond our ability. That does not mean that the troubles will not be difficult or strong. They will be. But it does say that God's power that works in us is able to protect us from being pushed beyond our ability to resist. 
When I look at these six things, one is compelled to praise the God of heaven for his marvelous work among man. If you don't do anything else other than listen to that, as you read God's word, you have gotten a great message. God is worthy of the glory, the honor, the praise that is due to him for what he has done for us. However, God not only wants us to respond in praise, but also in our passion, our love for him and carrying out his will. God loves us. Do we love him back? What that means is God has called. Will you answer? If you'll take your song books out and turn to the song of invitation. The song that says, All to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. Look what God has given you. Will you not surrender to Him? Becoming a Christian by believing that Jesus is the Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him and being baptized. If you are here and you are a Christian and you look at your life and you see that you're a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, you can come back and God will receive you and forgive you. Would you come as we stand and sing?